0: Do you struggle with mental health or know someone who does? Join Gabrielle and Cherise as they discuss all things mental health. Each episode will be packed with information on coping, healing, and living a well-balanced life. We hope you join us in session. Hello, hello, everybody. This is Gabrielle and Sharice with In Session Podcast, and we're
1: back with another episode. I'm really excited to talk today, Sharice. So what are we chatting about? Today, we are talking about dysfunctional family members, and I think it's such a good topic because, you know, all families are unique, and yeah. I think it's helpful to cope with whatever family style that you have, but I think it's kind of cool to see different structures of families, but also see how people are able to deal with, you know, some family members that might yeah. not be functioning the way that they are? And so where do you want to start with this topic?
0: maybe like a basic understanding of like what would
1: categorize like dysfunction versus functioning maybe. Okay, I think one thing for me that's really big when it comes to a dysfunctional family member or family units is expectations. Yeah. So maybe um, family members not having like clear expectations of you and then getting really emotionally dysregulated and yeah. getting upset at you for not meeting certain expectations or really just getting really reactive towards yeah. certain things when they think that, oh, this is the expectation that's like, not stated, but should be upheld and then yeah. everyone's kind of in disarray when that expectation is not upheld because there's a lot of emotions going on Absolutely. what do you think about that do you see that with clients i do i do and when i think about like
0: dysfunction and how it shows up i'm always reminded of like different life stages because you can mm-hmm. kind of see it play out through the lifespan and so yeah. sometimes when like i have clients who let's say they're in their 20s or 30s we'll talk back like oh take me when you were a child right And I try to get information about what their family dynamic was like when they were six, when they were 16, 26, et cetera, because what you'll find is that dysfunction doesn't just start when like, oh, you're old enough to drive a car or you're trying to move out to college. It can start when you're really young and it could look like, you know, I've heard some uh, of my clients say things like when they were young, they couldn't like spill milk or make a mistake or, you know, or, you know, just something like that, where if they did something, their family member had a really heightened reaction, like you just said, mm-hmm. to whatever they were doing, or it's just this highly conflictual environment where it's like, I'm seeing conflict a lot, or there's conflict directed at me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had someone who was not a client, they said something really powerful to me the other day. They were like, I met someone who tried to blame a child for doing something and it wasn't the child's fault. Mm-hmm. And they were like, that triggered me because I know what it's like to be a child and like be blamed for stuff outside of our control that is dysfunctional, right? right? Because kids, they think about like little small kids, they can't control if you know something happens outside of that. So I think of things like that.
1: I love how you break it down with clients of going back into early childhood, Mm. middle childhood, and then adulthood, because some of that stuff can follow you and you're not even recognizing sometimes that this was dysfunctional or that this wasn't um, something that happens in other families until you get to be an adult and you can kind of create your own expectations. And so I love the example of the heightened emotions around, oh, like you made a mistake or the child did something and they're not sure what they did wrong. And so they have these heightened emotions. And so they're kind of reflecting back what the parent is like kind of portraying and then as an adult they are portraying that in their new relationships yeah. and then it becomes like Oh, like what's, what's going on with you? Like that's, that's nothing to be upset about or this level of Mm. of upset about. I know for me, I gave this example in grad school, my mom had really heightened responses. Like when we spilled something or I was very clumsy and I still am. And so I would spill water all the time. And for me, it's like, Oh, it's just water. Like we just leave it. Like it'll dry up. Yeah. But for her, she's like, Oh my gosh, like clean it up. Like we don't want it to leave like a stain or whatever, a water stain. Yeah. And so I would get like that, like around Reggie or just like with friends, like whenever I spilled something, it's like, Oh my gosh, like a big reaction in Reggie it was like you know that's not a big deal and I was like oh you know it isn't but it yeah. took me this long to learn because that was so ingrained and that was just like you know when you spill something you jump to it real quick and yeah. like have this heightened emotion um and not saying that was a bad thing right. you know it was just something that I thought was normative mm-hmm. in my household
0: absolutely there are so many things that just like are unique to families that we grow up and we think oh well this is how everybody does it right and then sometimes you get around people and you're like nope that's not how everybody right. does it right. and I think um some things that we can kind of talk about the difference we have like functional, then you have dysfunctional. And then sometimes you can just have like unhelpful Mm -hmm. because I think there are, you know, every family member doesn't fall in the, oh, they're just dysfunctional and they're horrible. Right. Maybe it's that they do some things that aren't helpful for our growth or helpful for our independence. And so I think we could even talk about the differences there because I've seen some people, get really on edge if like you talk about the functioning of their family. And I think I'm always, I was be respectful of like, Hey, you probably have a great family, right? right. But that doesn't mean that they could not have done something unintentionally that was not helpful. And I think when you phrase it like that, people
1: can be receptive. Hey, have you seen that at all? I, I love that because the, la- the the part that you said about like how you phrase it is important because if yeah. you are like come kind of talking about people's family members, which is important to understanding them, they might get defensive. Yeah. And we don't want clients to get defensive because we want them to kind of break down those barriers and see what's going on that's affecting them now. Yeah. And so I like that you can rephrase it, to say, hey, how are certain things unhelpful to you? For to sure. You? Because your family members they all might be great. They might be great individual people. The unit might've been great but the way that you received love or the way that you received right. like emotions from them might not have been the way that you were needing absolutely. in that moment. And, you know, sometimes parents don't always get it right. Yeah. And a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to blame my parents. Mm-hmm. Like they did the best that they could. Yeah. I get that. I, I don't want to blame them either, but I do like for clients to see what the explanation is of like right. how it's still impacting their functioning. Absolutely. And so I think something that's unhelpful maybe that we see in families is sometimes like people, the kids not getting their needs met in the way that they, absolutely you know, need but as kids you don't recognize that and so clients sometimes might not have the highest emotional intelligence because parents didn't talk about Conflict or emotions in their household. And so when they get into situations where there is conflict or when there is things that need to be talked about, they're shying away and they're recognizing, like, why am I doing that? I'm so conflict avoidant because there's this fear, but my parents were great. Like, they never yelled Mm, at me. Right. You know, they were never harsh at me when I expressed my emotions, but they never showed me how to work through those emotions. Yeah. And so I think getting into that nitty gritty detail helps understand how it's playing out in, you know, everyday life. Absolutely. And I think when you talk about that, it it brings up the idea that
0: we're all so unique Mm -hmm. and that when you're in a family, like let's say it's a family, two parents, two kids, right? You would be shocked at just how different each of those four people can be. And so for a lot of us, we tend to relate to people how we relate to ourselves, right? And so if we have a way of communicating or a way of doing or being we try to like insert that in our relationships and it could not be what the child needs or the spouse needs. Right. And so sometimes learning how to be helpful, it's not that what you're doing is bad or not working because it may be good for you, right. but it's like, does this person need something different, you know? And so I have three kids and all of them are really different, <laughs> like personality-wise they're very different. And so I think you have to learn, It's it's it, is t- it takes work as a parent to like, okay, they need this. I have to meet them that way. Or they respond to this type of event this way. And it's exhausting a little bit. And so I can understand why some parents, they get frustrated and they're like, you know, maybe lose their cool a little bit because it takes
1: a lot of work. I understand. I feel like that kind of opens up a lens for me of like kind of managing different personalities yeah. and also knowing each child's boundaries. Yeah. And so even just like my family, like me and my sister are so very different, but I think mm-hmm. our, parent, our parents kind of parent us in like similar ways, yeah. similar disciplines, similar expectations. Well, actually, no, I take that back a little bit when it came to discipline. Like, I don't need a really harsh discipline because I feel guilty really easily. While my sister, on the other hand, I don't we still don't know what type of discipline she might need. But that that kind of shows how parents can react differently to each child and still, you know, they're still learning them. And I think still managing, you know, how the parents are different, how the children are different and how that creates this whole system that's very unique. When it comes to managing, you know, your children and kind of understanding, um, I guess, their personalities and their boundaries, what is the most difficult part for you? I would say is that,
0: like, for example, if I have a way of being that is unique, like Gabrielle, that's who I am. It's challenging because there may be a situation that occurs and let's say one of my children thinks like me and I can react that way because they're going to get it. What if the other two don't? And so it's sometimes it's like, okay, Gabrielle, I know this is how you see it. I know this is how you would respond, but is this gonna make sense to them? Is this gonna fit for where they are? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so for example, um, only one of my children (laughs) likes cleaning their room. And so for my middle baby, I can say, hey, it's time to clean our rooms. And like immediately, okay, mom, and he y'all he does such a good job right like that because I'm the same way like if you tell me something needs to be done okay sure and I'm like edit that's 100% him love it the other two not so much and so I've had to learn that like for my oldest son I can't just say like hey it's time to go clean up and expect him to do it we have to like make it a game or we have to like okay hey we're gonna do this and then we're gonna get some ice cream or you know just something that makes him feel motivated because it's not natural for him in that way and then my baby Zori you know, she's very much, can you help me? Can daddy help me? And so she's all about teamwork, right? And so I could be like, oh, she wants somebody to help her. But no, she values like teamwork and like right. having someone assist in that way. So mm-hmm. it's like learning, okay, if we need to clean Zori's room yeah. this today, how are me and my husband gonna like teamwork this mm-hmm. so that she feels like she has a partner? Yeah. And so it's just changing little stuff like that.
1: That's such a great example because I think as parents, sometimes what I see in my work with them is that they can expect like what one child does, especially maybe the oldest is like, oh, the oh, yeah. other- children to fall in line and also do that same thing and then when they don't they think it's a problem with the child and they start right. saying "Ooh, let's try and fix this let's try and get them to meet this expectation this certain way yeah. and then they become really frustrated because like what's wrong with them like what's yeah. going on with them that they cannot meet the same level of expectation as their older sibling mm-hmm. and so I think it's a lot of work in therapy of getting the parent to understand how can you react differently yeah but also reacting outside of what you're used to or what you grew up with and so yeah. a lot of parents sometimes I see they're they're one of their children to like snap to it yeah and to do something immediately because that's the kind of parents that they grew up with like this no nonsense type of parenting and now of course yeah. we have so many different types of parenting like yeah. gentle parenting conscious parenting all this different you know ways of methods of teaching your children and so I think mm-hmm. you know as you know, the world is advancing and we're learning more about children. It's harder for parents who grew up one way to understand what's going on for their children, how their children are different and how to manage it in different ways. And that's challenging, but I think there's a benefit Of knowing your children, knowing their boundaries and helping them through that.
0: Yeah. And, you know, if you're listening to this, I think it's important. You know, family can be defined a lot of different ways, like whether you have a blended family, whether it's you and your partner and your animals, right? Family Mm -hmm. can be anything, it doesn't just have to include kids. And I think even like when we talk about like couples and relationships in that way, there's a level of functioning that you have to try to establish because. You know me and my husband are very very different like from like our interest to just how like the things that we do i'm very much a I enjoy silence person like and it's 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 so funny because if you ride with me unless i'm in a mood like i really want to dance or like something like that i ride in my car in silence and like it's no it's not random to go in my car and like nothing's on because i just like silence yeah. you get in my husband's car i can like to the <laughs> t tell you what's playing. He, he loves gospel music. It's going to always be playing. And like, even when he drives my car, I can tell, oh, he's been in my car yeah. because it's going to have something on. And so it's learning even in that, like, okay, how are we different? How can we function together? Yeah. And I think even in couple relationships, because we bring in our family of origin stuff, yeah. I've seen people, well, this is how my parents were in a marriage or this is what they did. Why isn't it working? Whether that's spending money, whether that's communication, work yeah. schedules, a lot of it we learn from our, you know, other people.
1: Yeah. And I think you have to embrace differences, But the one way to embrace differences is to talk about them. And Mm -hmm. when you talk about family of origin stuff, we often don't talk about it. We just assume, hey, this is the right way of doing something. I know I do that. I'm like, well, this is how I do it. (laughs) So everyone else should do it the same way. But you can't do that because then when you enter into a new relationship or even your current relationships, there can be high levels of conflict that come with that. And then you're not sure how to work through that or come to a resolution because you're both in a stalemate of no, this is the right way. and This is the right way. And then when you bring children into the mix, it's Mm -hmm. like, how are you going to parent that? Because you have to be a team. Against the children (laughs) almost, because if you're not, they're going to pick up on that. And guess what? They're going to feel like they have the control because mommy says one thing. Daddy says another thing. Okay, well, they can't agree. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And so when it comes to differences, I think embracing them is very important. I think early on when we talk about romantic relationships, differences almost seem very interesting. Mm -hmm. And that's what I am drawn to about this person. But if we don't talk about it, if we don't communicate of how can we either compromise Or, I guess, come up with a new standard for the relationship, it becomes a point of tension, Mm -hmm. and then things don't get resolved if we can't talk about it in a healthy way. Absolutely. And, you know, when we're talking about dysfunctional
0: families or just families that may do things that aren't helpful, something that happened when you were mentioning different parenting styles is that boundaries being like this hot topic thing, though, there are a lot of families who aren't sure how to have healthy boundaries because I know we talk like there's something we we do call like family therapy structural family therapy and like it's like diffuse boundaries or rigid boundaries <laughs> yes. all the kind of stuff but so many families may have boundary styles that aren't helpful yes right because you don't want such a rigid boundary that like okay nothing's going through this is kind of how it is it's everything's so separate and then you don't want the the boundaries too porous to where oh anything right. goes and like right. let's just go with the wind because then it Creates like confusion of what's allowed, what's not allowed. And so, so sometimes when I look at families who, if you're going to call them dysfunctional or just unhelpful, there aren't clear, healthy boundaries. They're like too extreme, one way or the other.
1: Yeah. And I think with boundaries, too, it's also the consequence that I mm. see that's damaging because if we have this rigid boundary yeah. and everyone doesn't agree, and the consequence is like, if you break this boundary, then I'm going with- to withheld yeah. my love or I'm yeah. going to berate you or I'm going to make you like, you know, repeat the boundary so that you understand yeah. it like that. Is not being respectful i think boundaries are meant to like be respectful and for everyone to be on the same page and so when we talk about the consequences of breaking a boundary in families it can be very damaging if the boundary is not clear for one yeah if it's broken if the consequence is always like sporadic or different or if it's very extreme to where there's withholding of love or emotional damage or just like not meeting their needs in the moment i think one thing that's beautiful about relationships and families is that even through conflict there's this theory in therapy called EFT like emotional language and emotional needs. You can still meet each other's needs in conflict yeah. in a healthy way. But when we have these boundaries that are so rigid or the consequences are so negative and extreme, the needs aren't being met mm-hmm. in those moments and then it creates these ruptures that don't get repaired right. if the boundaries are not, you know, expressed and stated clearly. Absolutely. And I think kind of what you're talking
0: about is that just because you feel a certain way, You don't have to allow that feeling to disrupt what you know is good for that Mm -hmm. relationship or good for that person. And so it's almost like, you know what? Even if I'm upset, be it at my spouse or at my children or whatever, I don't have to then take that moment and I can make it a learning moment. I don't have to let it be, okay, this is gonna disrupt our family, you know, cycle for today and everybody just is gonna be horrible. But it's a good communication tactic, like, you know what? Yeah, that did upset me. And I do need to, you know, have some alone time because I'm a a little upset right now. But I'm gonna Mm -hmm. come back and then we'll like fix it or whatever. Healthy modeling does not get enough credit because I think people assume that like, because I've had sometimes people get a little bit defensive and they're like, oh, so I just can't discipline or, oh, I just can't get upset. That's not what we're saying. But it's healthy modeling of like, okay, I can be upset and I still don't have to harm you and not just harm physically, but like emotionally or verbally. Right. And so if your child does something that you ask them not to do and you get upset, it's okay to say, you know what? I'm really upset by by this right now. I'm going to go take a 10 minute break and then we'll figure it out together. Yes. The child is very clear. Okay. They're upset. But when you take that 10 minutes and you come back and they see like, Hey, let's figure it out together. Wait, wait, she, you know, is helping me still. She says she was mad, but you know, she came back and she's helping me. They're learning like, okay, just because I'm mad, doesn't mean I got to mm-hmm. cut people off. I got to treat you poorly, right. you know, healthy modeling really matters. It
1: really does. And I saw a video yesterday that I really loved that I'd never been thought about, but this mom was saying like to her preteen, she asked like, how can I support you through this? Like any issue anything that the child needs like how can I support you through this I'm not going to do it for you but tell me how I can support you how can I model that I'm here for you and with you but I'm not going to like enable you to do things that you shouldn't be doing or I'm not going to do it for you to where you're not learning discipline or work ethic and so I think Also choosing what you're modeling is very important because you can model something like, oh, I'm sitting here for 10 minutes straight without moving. Mm -hmm. My two-year-old child should be able to do that, too. No, you shouldn't expect that you should be able to model like regulation at each developmentally appropriate level. And so I love the example of I'm going to walk away, get myself together, regulate, come back and talk about it in a healthy way with the child, because at any stage that shows hey, I'm able to get myself together, understand what's going on for me. And I want to understand what's going on for you as well. And then we can talk about that together. And so I think when you're you're choosing to model things, it has to be developmentally appropriate. But also I think it's important to remember how can you support the child in that moment of where they're at? If a child is yelling and you want them to straighten up real quick, well, supporting them doesn't mean like neglecting them and leaving Mm -hmm. them and say, I'm not going to deal with you or, you know, put that toy back in the store and and yelling at them and braiding them for their emotion. I think helping them see what's happening for them, supporting them, giving them options is very helpful. And, you know, this, these
0: can be like large scale things, but like any opportunity really can be used to help grow like modeling opportunities and like just ways to support difference I'm a big advocate that a lot of what's wrong with the world is that we just don't know how to respect and like relate to differences right and so like a real silly example my voice sounds a little (laughs) bit better but I lost it you know root for the Super Bowl (laughs) and you know I love the Philadelphia Eagles I'm a Jalen Hurts fan roll equals roll my son likes the Kansas city chiefs. And so, yes, (laughs) it was tough. And so there was a a point um, in the game on Sunday where like, of course the Eagles were winning at one point and the chiefs ended up winning. And my son was super excited about it. And I was not happy because my team lost. Right. And there was this point where like, you could tell he was concerned because okay, mom is not happy. And I had to tell him like, no, no, I'm really hurt. I'm sad because my team lost, but congratulations on your or win. And it was a simple modeling example of, I'm not going to pretend like I'm happy because I wasn't happy that they won. So I honored my own emotion, but then I told him, Hey, but it's okay for you to be happy, you know, way to go cheese. Right. Yeah. And what that does is that on a larger difference, like let's say later on in life, if he chooses opposite of what I would pick or something like that hopefully he will know like, okay, my mom may be sad because she likes this or she does whatever, but she's still going to be able to support me. And that is big. Even though it was a game this time, it could be bigger later.
1: Yeah. I love how you can take small examples of everyday life and see how it can transfer to a long-term skill. That shows to me, like children are going to look up to their parents for what they should be feeling and what they should be thinking sometimes. And if you are like, yeah, like you should be mad with me or like almost like Being the emotion is so big and you're disregarding their feelings so if she never took the moment to say no it's okay congratulations like I'm happy that you're happy you know, maybe he would have expected that he should have been mad too. And then it wouldn't have, you know, he wouldn't have been able to congratulate his team and be happy about that win. And so, you know, in in the future, I think what that leads to is children and adults in the society being able to differentiate their emotions from other people. And so they're taking the time to say, Hey, my emotions are important. Yeah. Other people's emotions are important, but that doesn't mean that I have to feel what you feel just because that's the highlighted emotion in the moment. Yeah.
0: And one of our points for our topic is control, right? Because dysfunctional families want to like almost control the outcome or control the the family member to like be what they want them to be. When so much of healthy family function is like, look, I can try to lead you in the right direction, but I can't force you or control you so much that you're going to have to do this thing. And so I think what we see in unhelpful families is that the control piece is so strong. And it's like, I've seen this a lot with, with clients where it's like, oh, this is what I want you to talk with them about in therapy. And this is what they should do in their life. They should do this career, go to this school. And the child or the, you know, the teen or the adult starts to feel suffocated because they're like, you know, they make every decision for me. That is not healthy family functioning. Mm -hmm. You know, even if you want them to go to college, if they choose not to do that, you can't control the narrative of their life and say you're going to do it anyway because they're going to probably grow up to resent you, right? And they kind of continue this cycle. So I think control is a huge factor that plays into family health and functioning.
1: I agree. And with that, a a child feeling suffocated, I think parents sometimes... Not that they want that, but they un- unintentionally say that, like, kind of repeat that message of if you don't do what I want, then yeah. I'm gonna like make you feel guilty. Like mm-hmm. I'm gonna make comments about it, or at dinner I'm gonna keep bringing it up every time we have a family function. Yeah. And the child was like, I don't want to talk about this. Yeah. But then they make them feel bad about it, and so it's like, well, the only way to escape that for the child is to do what the parent wants. Mm-hmm. Like, the children a lot of time want that feeling to end. They they don't want to feel those heightened emotions because it doesn't feel good all the time to yeah. be in a state of anxiety or feel depressed or feel really guilty about decisions that they're making. I I think as parents, it's important to make children feel competent yeah. in their decision making. And one thing that you said earlier was about the emotional piece. If you can help them feel mastery over their emotions and that they're able to emotionally regulate and be aware of what's going on for them, that translates to a lifetime skill as adults, that they're able to make decisions that are best for them and put themselves first, regardless of who has an opinion on it. And yeah. I think that can be very difficult to teach because mm-hmm. we do want the best for our children. Like, we, of course, yeah. we want. Them to make positive decisions and when we don't agree with it, it's hard for parents to I mm-hmm. think take that backseat and say, I trust you. I think that, you know, I raised you to be this adult and this capable human being that's going to make positive choices, even if that doesn't align with what I want. Right. That can be very difficult. But leaving the parents' emotions out of it, I think has been very helpful for clients that I've seen that that are able to dif- differentiate and make decisions yeah. that are outside of what anybody else's opinions might be. Yeah.
0: And I think, you know, when you're listening to this, obviously we want you to make, you know, age appropriate decisions. So, for example, a six month old baby does not have the autonomy or the ability to make decisions. So they're not gonna know, like, oh, I need to drink my bottle as opposed to let me eat a steak. Like, come on. We, of course, there's like age appropriate, you know, things that you have to consider. But as children grow, as your family grows, you have to say, okay, what stage are they in and how can I support them so that I am allowing them to be their own person? Because essentially, you know, one of the healthiest ways to have a healthy family is for each person to play their role, to do their part. And the only way to do that is that you're securing yourself. Mm -hmm. And you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. so even as you're raising kids, whether they're in preschool or once they get to like elementary or middle or high That's going to change. And hopefully as they grow older, you start to give them more autonomy. Mm -hmm. You give them more independence and say, hey, I trust you to make that decision. And it could start off small. Like, no, you can pick out your socks for today or your clothes for the day or you get to choose what sports you want to do or what friends you're going to have. And you can always give really good guidance. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe when they're seven and you have to drive them somewhere. Yeah, you have a say. So what they're going to do, but maybe when they're 13 or they're 16, if you always try to like micromanage their friend group, that's probably not going to work. You know what I mean? And so you have to grow with them and and help give them.
1: Growing with them is so important and being secure in yourself. To me, that signals like a secure attachment. And while you might not, have gotten a secure attachment from your family unit as a parent there's ways that you can create a secure attachment in your new relationships that you're able to form when you're outside of your family relationship that you then portray into your own family unit and so when I think about a secure attachment I think about high levels of warmth but Mm -hmm. also like high levels of you know not necessarily discipline but like supporting your children and being there for them and letting them kind of make their own decisions come to their own consequences but also guiding them in the right direction without like helicoptering or like saying this is what you need to do. And so I think when the parent has a secure attachment or they understand what security is in themselves, they're able to present that to their child and the child develops a secure attachment, which yeah. then allows them to create security in their friendships. Like you're talking about creating yeah. their own friend groups that are positive for them and also romantic relationships in their own yeah. family unit. And so it really does start when you're, when you're small. So I know like, it seems like a silly example, like you mentioned of picking out your clothes, Yeah, but that really does, you know, create autonomy in the, the idea that I as a parent trust you to decide what you're going to wear and to express yourself in this moment, however you want to. And that's fine with me. And I'm not going to get anxious about it because that's not what I would have picked for you, but I trust you to make that decision. And so security is a huge piece In relationships, when you think about like insecure attachments, how Mm -hmm. do you think that plays out in families, and when it comes to dysfunctional roles and family members? Attachment is so
0: important, and I think what we see in families that maybe are unhelpful or they're a little bit dysfunctional is that the attachment, like you said, is missing that security piece, and so people tend to do a couple things. They develop avoidant attachment style. It becomes insecure attachment. They become anxious, right? And so they start to operate out of that with their friends and with their romantic partners. And they start developing unhealthy expectations Mm -hmm. of those relationships. And so now what the system they were in when they didn't have a secure attachment It's almost like they go out and replicate that in other areas. And so they aren't able to really function in healthy work environments, school adjustments, romantic partnerships, friendships, they have these unrealistic expectations, and they'll either get like super anxious and they need to be validated all the time, or they're very like emotionally avoided and they don't connect well with anybody outside of their family. And so I think it plays out in how they are able to move on
1: and be an independent person in this world. Mm. What do you think? I think that's so important. I work with clients on that all the time of being an independent person. I always start with like needs based work. And so Mm. helping the client see what they need from themselves. So being vulnerable with yourself enough to say, this is how I'm feeling. This is my emotion. I need this. I'm going to give it to myself because when you validate yourself and give Mm. you your needs, you're not really expecting to get that from other people. It's a plus. And that's what I think in families with insecure attachments don't create is that I'm enough on my own as a person, and I can meet my needs, or or they trust the parent to meet their needs up until a certain point. Of course, yeah. like when, like you mentioned, as a baby the parent needs to give them a bottle. And so <laughs> yeah. the baby's going to develop a secure attachment if yeah. the parent's consistently giving them that bottle, but an insecure attachment, the baby's floundering. is like, well, why isn't anybody here to meet my need? I'm not worth it to meet mm-hmm. my needs. And so it, it starts to create this internal process of who am I as a person and I'm worth getting my needs met. You know, I have these hard emotions. No one's here to help soothe me. Yeah. Am I just this person that's going to experience life with these harsh realities and these harsh emotions? So I think, secure attachment is very important. And I always start with needs-based work when I, when I work with clients, what about you?
0: A hundred percent, because I think what you said about like being able to give that to themselves. So many people come in here searching for like how to function in this world. Mm -hmm. And a huge part of that, maybe just because we're MFTs is understanding, well, how did you previously live and relate to the world in your family and things like that? And so my goal for anybody is, our first, at least my first line of defense is not let's cut everybody off and not have a relationship. (laughs) That's not the goal. Even if you come from a family that isn't as helpful or isn't as healthy, Mm -hmm. I'm still not like team. Let's cut everybody off. We look for ways for you to be a healthy individual and then to like associate with those situations. And so needs-based work is so important because when they can have a secure attachment with themselves and learn how to do that with other people, they can then go back to their family of origin. And I don't know if it's like the solution focused to me, but it's just that, you know, small changes can lead to big results and one change in the system can, you know, do something else. Mm-hmm. I, I believe in it. And so I'm like, if I can make one individual healthy, yeah. no, I'm not saying that they're going to get the whole family in therapy, but maybe just maybe yeah. they can teach them how to, how to live better.
1: And here's the thing about small changes. It does work, but it takes consistent effort mm-hmm. because your whole family will start to look at you like you're crazy because you're going Absolutely. outside of the norm. And so a lot of times people come to therapy, it's like, wow, I feel really, I feel a lot better. Boundaries with my family yeah. members, but they're making me feel really bad about it. Yeah. And that's where that emotional differentiation piece comes from. Of uh, mm. we're going to be start feeling different and we're yeah. going to start operating outside of the system. And so a lot of emotions are going to come up. Can you withhold that? Can you withhold yeah. your boundaries even though everyone is pissed off at you? Yep. Or they're making you feel guilty about it because they're not used to that yet. Yeah. And I do think that small change can lead to other people changing. It might not be in the way that you're expecting, right. but if you have a boundary, say, for example, every time someone, you know, makes a comment about your weight, you're going to leave a function. Mm. If you do that enough, maybe they'll stop Making you know comments about your weight, and then you can stay at functions longer, and you're around your family members more, and that might be a goal for you. Right. While you're not changing the individual, like maybe they still have those thoughts inside them, and they're not like this perfect person, they change their behavior on a smaller scale to help you out, to help you feel okay to be around your family members a bit more, and that's small change that people don't really realize. Like they might still say, "Well, that person is still doing all these other things." Well, yes, but they change something behaviorally because of you and your recommendation of like what they should do when you're in the in the room. So I think that's important. Of small scale change can lead to other people changing in ways that aren't the hugest, but they still make a difference on your life.
0: Absolutely. And you'd be shocked at just these little small things that we can do. It's not intended to like overhaul the entire system in one day. Rome wasn't built in a day. Right. And so it's like, OK, how can I make a small change and do it enough times mm-hmm. to where one, I'm feeling great and I'm feeling better. Right. But then I'm also teaching people how to treat me, mm-hmm. you know, and I think so much of it is kind of that unlearning piece, because mm-hmm. the first part when they come in here is that they may already have like this frame of reference that may not be the healthiest. Right. And so this is where we unpack that. We help them establish a secure sense of self, all of that. Then you take that new information that you've learned and you say, okay, I'm going to go sprinkle a little bit of this in my romantic relationship or my friendships or my family. And like Sharice just said, they may not become this, like do this 180 version of themselves. Like, yes, I'm just where you are, but they will start making small changes out of respect for you. Mm -hmm. And it could be something as simple as not wanting to be called out your name or a comment about your weight or like them getting too much in your business with your, how you raise your kids or how you work your marriage. Even if they never stop thinking that way, they won't express it to you out of respect right. because you've made it clear what your boundary is. So boundaries are still really important. Mm-hmm. At times you may have to minimize like how much I'm around them. Do I have to leave the function yeah. early? Do I have to not spend every holiday mm-hmm. there? you do that in order to become what you need to
1: have healthy function for yourself. And be realistic about your boundaries too. If you know someone is not really going to change, like if other people Mm. in your family have tried to put boundaries with them before Mm. and they are just like stuck in their ways and they're not going to change. Well, maybe it's not even worth it for your mental health or for your energy to even like have a conversation with them about a boundary because they're not going to change. And maybe you even try, say like, you know, you're willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. You try it and it's not working. Mm -hmm. We're not going to tell you to keep on trying. (laughs) yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Because at some point- That kind of creates the message in you that, oh my goodness, like I'm trying, I'm putting all my energy into this person and I feel like they can change and it, it warps your reality of, I see the best in this person. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's like a horrible thing, but you also have to see the reality of they're not going to change and how is that going to impact you if you keep putting all this, this effort there yes. and things aren't changing. And so I think, you know, you have to be realistic about your boundaries, be realistic about who in your family it maybe is the most receptive to change or the most yeah. receptive to hearing your boundaries and making those changes because if you are just like beating a dead horse well you're still going to yeah. have those same effects as if like yeah. you've never set the boundary it's, it's, there's going to be going to be no point and no benefit to you of doing that
0: listen <laughs> people change when they are ready yes and you cannot make them be ready and yeah. so when you are thinking about your family functioning Focus on you, right? We, You hear us say all the time, control the controllables. Right. You can't control you. You can't control your mama, daddy, cousin, sister, brother, <laughs> and uncle. You cannot. And so people are going to change when they are ready. The question remains, are you ready to change? And as long as you are ready to change, you can have a direct effect to do that. Yeah. You can't change if mama's gonna get it or dad or yeah. whoever, but you can change yourself. And so I always say, start with you. Mm-hmm. You be the change, right? Okay. And I'm not gonna say don't worry about the people who don't want to change, but that's not your burden. That's mm-hmm. not your responsibility. And I can honestly tell you, if you work on the changes with yourself, and then you start honoring that, it, the boundaries become your best friend because, mm-hmm. like, look, I've done what's best for me. If you can't treat me like I want to be treated. Cool, boo, no problem. I'm not going to force you, but I know to leave this relationship or to stop this friendship or whatever
1: the Mm -hmm. case may be. And it's not easy starting out because, you know, you're used to being treated a certain way. Mm-hmm. And so your brain is like, oh, well, this is my normative. Like, this yeah. is what I feel like I do deserve in the beginning when you're setting boundaries. And mm-hmm. so you might feel like, you know, I need to go back to that. Or if I let these people go, am I going to find someone else that will meet this boundary? Yeah. And so there's a lot of fear there. But once you get a small taste of it, like Gabrielle was saying, the boundaries will become your bestie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you will want to create more boundaries because you start to tell yourself, I am worth being respected. I am worth my boundaries being listened to and upheld because, you know, that creates the best relationships for me. And also it creates the best version of myself to give towards other people. And so once you get that small taste, Mm -hmm. it becomes this domino effect of how else can I implement that in other domains in my life? Not just with friends or family, but in work or other relationships. Just outside of that, you know, extended family members, all of that. And it helps benefit you, but it does start with kind of, kind of breaking down those fears of what am I worth? Like, am I going to get the yeah. true benefit of this if I start cutting off people or letting people go that are not withholding the boundaries in Absolutely. my life right now? And if you're listening to this
0: and what she just said resonated with you, and you're in that place of like, not feeling like you're worth this or not knowing what it is that you deserve, start there, right? You may not be at a space where you're ready to like maybe put up the boundaries or minimize the contact because maybe you don't think you deserve that. That's awareness all in of itself. Get plugged in, find a therapist, work on that and start working on that need stuff. Start working on your value and your self-worth. Then once you get that figured out, you can figure out how you're going to deal with your family who may be dysfunctional or unhelpful. But it starts with you. And so you got to make sure that you believe you deserve whatever it is that you're requiring.
1: It does. It does. It starts with you. And so whether you came from a dysfunctional family, you have dysfunctional family members in your life, something's unhelpful to you within your current family, the change can start with you. And so I think that would be my takeaway from this episode is if you're wanting to make change, just start small, kind of be realistic about the expectations that you're setting for yourself and family members and start there and, you know, take, give yourself grace. It's not going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Family members, people in your life will get upset when you start to change because they're not used to that. Mm -hmm. That's okay fight through those feelings, make sure you're aware of how you're feeling, process that and move forward because you know that it's going to be the best thing for you. What is your takeaway?
0: That is amazing. No, I'm, I'm the same way. I think, you know, focusing on you, letting the change begin within first and realizing that other people will change when they're ready. And yes. it's not our job to make them ready. It's not our job to determine, oh, well, you should be ready. No, yeah. I'm ready. And let's just start there.
1: Yes. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you guys enjoy this episode and we'll be back for more next week. Bye.